Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. We are here. We are here. It is Tuesday at 9.45 a.m., 75 degrees, and nice balmy. That's good news for you reptiles. That's been stuck in my head ever since. Monsters, Inc. Yeah, my kids love that movie. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah, man. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Doing good. good. Enjoying the weather. We had some uh, one kid start T-ball, so we got some practice going on. Who started T-ball? Piper Graham. All right. Which is just controlled chaos. Your youngest is starting a sport. What's that like? It's good. I think she's going to be our athlete for sure. She's got the knit and grit in her to keep up with <laughs> she's her your brother. fighter, bro. Yeah, bro, for sure. She's yeah. uh, she's great. Kids got the countdown to school, uh, of getting out of school for yeah. the summer, and yeah. just weeks away. So how about you guys? Ball. You guys got another human yet or what? Yeah, not yet. We I, I legitimately told Kayla last week, I was like, I bet you're going to go right into labor halfway through the rest of the sermon. And that was a week ago. That was so a week. Maybe it'll happen today. Yep. If we log off instantly, that's why. That's so, it. Yeah, we got that. Ethan turned two on Saturday. Super cool. second birthday. That was yeah. a lot of fun. And Jesse is... Learning what it is like to um, have somebody else be sort of the focus of a Celebrated. day. Celebrated. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard so, for the firstborns, man. Yeah, it's yeah, hard. but she did a good job. We're good. proud of her. She did a good job. Great. Uh, so what we are, we are, this is a monumental day for us. We are closing yeah. out the book of Colossians. Super sad. 14 weeks, man. I was super sad yesterday. I start, um, I like what Alistair Begg says. He says, sermon prep starts when you say amen for the benediction on Sunday. <laughs> so, but Monday I get in and, and read the text and do all of that. And, yeah. I, and I didn't turn to Colossians, man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it was sad. It yeah. Was sad. Yeah. I got up to read the text on Sunday at the 11 and I was like, I said out loud, this is the last time I'm going to get to read from Colossians in this series. Yeah, man. It was kind of sad, but it's been a great, great journey. The big idea of this journey through the book of Colossians was, was, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can, a a clear view of Jesus will change your life. A clear view of Jesus Christ will change your life. And before we get into living to leave a legacy of what we did this week, this past Sunday, at the very end of Colossians 4, I want to ask you, what was your favorite sermon or your favorite text out of the book of Colossians over the last 14 weeks? Wow, that's a, man, wow, that's a really good question. If you want to, I got one written down if you want to, yeah. if you want to think while I talk no, yeah, for a second. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, my, my, mine was, um, so we went we went through uh, three sections um, in Colossians. We went through three separate sections of what the book outlines for us. It's the gospel proclaimed, protected, and practiced. And mine comes from the first section of the gospel proclaimed. Um, it was when we were in Colossians 1, 15 through 19, so yeah. we're seeing the supremacy of Jesus. Where it says he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him, everything was made on earth and in heaven, visible, invisible. Uh, Everything that has an authority or a power, everything was created through him and for him. He's before all things. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead and everything. He's preeminent. That was just a wonderful sermon. I really, really enjoyed that. Like, because like, in that text, you you broke it down this way. You said that that Jesus reveals the Father, He rules the universe, He resurrected from the dead, and reconciles the lost. Yeah, man. And I left leaving that Sunday just have, being so full of hope. Mm, like, that's good. It's so full of hope, knowing that if Jesus is supreme and really Lord over all, then it's gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. That's great. Yeah, man. yeah. That's great. That was mine. What's yours? Yeah, I think. Um, I think for me, it was in towards the end of Colossians 1 when seeing Paul's philosophy of ministry in 28 through 29, yeah. and when he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present 
everyone mature in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse 29, for this I toil and struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. Yeah. And anytime you get to spend 14 weeks in a letter, what you end up doing is you find the writer's logic. Yeah. So so I got to know Paul in a way that I'd never known him before and finding the logic and the flow of the letter. But then I think if I had to summarize everything and teach Colossians, it would be those verses either 15 through 19 or Colossians 3. Yeah. Um, the you know, the letter moves slow in chapter one. We yeah. were like, you know, seven sermons in on chapter right. one. Chapter two moved quickly because it's a complete unit of thought. Yeah. But then chapter three, when he talks about the resurrected life the and how that on the ground. Yeah, man, and how that breaks down. Yeah. And so I don't know if I had a particular um favorite single sermon, but I think those two sections for me and then finding his logic. And I tell you what, I really enjoyed this weekend. I love obscure passages of the Bible. There's like seven names in here. I'll just skip that. No, no, (laughs) don't skip that because you get to see. um, Yeah. And we'll get into that, but I love obscure passages. And so this week seeing all of those names and the personal, Paul became a person, you know, not just this you know, stained glass guy with a quill and a sword, the defender of truth and all of that right. stuff, but he's a human being. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, it's just been a lot, a lot of fun. That's rad. That's rad. Well, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. I'm going to go ahead and read that. <clears throat> Colossians 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus, as I'm told that it's pronounced, not Tychicus, <laughs> will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice or Eustace. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. So the theme that you drew out for us this week that we see in the text is living to leave a legacy. Yeah. Living to leave a legacy. And Paul is like ending this letter sort of like you mentioned on Sunday, like how how in a book an author gives like acknowledgments to those who have sure. like th- thanked to have contributed to the book and everything. And you sort of pulled a tagline that we that we had back when we went through Nehemiah, which yep. was like four years ago. Yeah, now. I was torn between, I mean, I could have approached these verses a number 
number of ways, but yeah. Sunday was Mother's Day. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought in God's sovereignty, timing that in with legacy and stuff like that was important. But I think there is a ton here to learn yeah. about all of God's work takes all of God's people yes. and learning about ministry. And I thought, man, ministry can be done with friends, ministry. I mean, there there is a lot in these verses yeah. that if I was even preaching to pastors, yeah. I would almost maybe even choose these verses. That's good, man. That's really good. I, lo- I love how you broke down the context. Like, like these people's names are not just written down like in a book that you can go find in a library. Yes, yeah. you can find the Bible in a library. But there's something different about this book. God, God's word lasts forever. The yep. grass wither and withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Yep. And these people's names are recorded in this book. Yeah. Forever. Forever, man. Forever. That's a legacy. That is a legacy. That's a legacy. And so our big idea this week was Christians live to leave a legacy. And I love that that the way that you broke this down, you said John Maxwell said an inheritance is something that you leave with people, yeah. like whether it's money or a car or a house or or any kind of an investment or something. A legacy is something that you leave in people, right? Something that you live in people. One of the things we said is a legacy is living a life worth leaving in others. Yeah, I you know it, I I played with that sentence a lot, yeah, and, yeah. and one of the definitions that I that I thought was good was is that a, a legacy is your life that keeps on living after you're gone. Yeah. It's your life that outlives you. Yeah. And so when you look at Martin Luther King Jr., you look at you know Mother Teresa, you look at their legacies yeah. are continuing on even yeah. though they're gone. Well, why is it important that we... I want to talk about this idea of the, like you wording this sentence, the difference between with and in people. Yeah. Why is it important that we leave our legacy in our friends and family and not just stuff like with them? Sure. Yeah, well, I think Jesus, obviously, in the Sermon on the Mount, says the best ROI, the best return on your investment is investing in the kingdom of God. Amen. Where moth and rust. It's interesting that he says this. He says, you know, put it where moth and rust can't get to it. Yeah, don't destroy. I think. Well, but I think we lose the fact what Jesus is talking about there is time because it takes a long time for rust to to get on something. Yeah. So I think we live these lives, we work really hard, and and you know, the Bible speaks to in Proverbs it says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's good to be financially savvy. The scriptures teach to all of that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, Ecclesiastes also says that whatever you leave behind, your dumb kids are going to squander off. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's just the facts. Yeah. And so what is the best return on your investment? And it is the kingdom of God yeah. leaving, you know, living for this singular vision of your life. Yeah, that's really, really good. Yeah, man. And the big question that we pulled from was what legacy am I leaving? Yep. What legacy what legacy am I leaving? And if as you're listening to this, we're going to break down each person that's mentioned in at the end of Paul's letter here to the church in Colossae. And as we're going through these legacies that they leave, continue to ask yourself, what legacy am I leaving? Yeah. What legacy am I leaving? Is it, is it a legacy that I'm leaving with uh, with somebody or an idea, or is it an actually a legacy that has lived on in them as I go, and can they be compared to these? So the first one's this, a legacy of service. And that's where we see Tychicus. Yep. Tychicus will, t- and this is from verse seven and eight. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. And then he's mentioned in three different ways. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And we see that word servant there, a legacy of service. Paul's writing to a rural church in yep. Colossae. Like, he's never been there. Yeah. 
but he's talking about the importance of of service. Mm-hmm. He's talking about and and I think we get this idea of service sort of mixed up um, or or maybe mixed in with like hospitality, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I want to ask a couple things. Like, how, how is the value? What is the value of serving your local church? Yeah. Like, and maybe what are some ways that we can do that? And if we want to unpack the legacy of service point a little bit, we can do that too. Yeah, I think the value of serving your local church, the interesting thing about the local church is is that scripturally speaking, it's an organism, not an organization. Yeah. It's a living, breathing thing. Mm, that's and, a word for 2021. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, even from the the book we read, you know, the starfish and the spider, yeah. that w- what makes this organism so interesting is that the head is Christ, yeah, and so he's alive forever. But there's no one thing that this bottleneck's on, that everybody has gifts, that everybody serves, and everybody can get on. So a lot of times people think, you know, the church, and we've used this illustration a bunch, when they think of church, they think of a bus and a bus driver. Yeah. So the pastor is the bus driver. Yeah. Everybody's on their bus in designated seats, and the pastor is driving us to the mission, mm-hmm. right? And and that's what that looks like. But the reality is it's not a bus, it's a it's a rowboat. Yeah. Right. So everybody's got a paddle. Right. Everybody's rowing to this destination. And the pastor is not so much somebody who's driving the bus as he is equipping and cheering on people that are doing the work. Yeah. And so the reason why it's so important is, is that what we said, all of God's work takes all of God's people. Yeah. And one of the main things, and this might be jumping ahead, but as we said that no, no service is insignificant. Yeah. All service is significant in the kingdom of God. And what we see from Tychicus is Tychicus was the letter carrier. Yeah. So he carried the letter from Paul, who was in jail with Epaphras and his guys, and he carried it back to Colossae. If Tychicus wasn't Paul's, like, get-it-done guy, Tychicus was, hey, you need tables set up? Hey, you need chairs set up? Hey, do you need... I'll go unlock the building. I'll go deliver the letter. I'll go. If he wasn't that, we wouldn't have the letter. Right. That's why it's so significant, man. Yeah, man. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I love those little examples that you use of service. Like, I want to talk about that for a second, because you used an illustration from an NPR article, um, and I I think you said it was... Yeah, it was called Dying Well. Yeah. And they surveyed about 2,000 obituaries from the New York Times over 20 months, and there was one word that kept recurring, and it was the word that, that was used to remember loved ones, which was help. Yep. Um, people that that had service as a mark of their legacy, as something that they left behind. Yes. So, two-part question. Because service doesn't just, service is a big deal, and it's it's significant, as we've said, in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just the local church. Now, let me, let me, reiterate this. We've said time and time again, there's no plan B for God for the world other than the local church. So serve your local church. But there are also ways that the local church can serve the surrounding communities. 100%. So two-part question, how can someone serve the church? Serve the search. Yeah, man, that's (laughs) good. Serve the church. And how can someone uh, serve their sphere of influence? Yeah. Um, and if you if you'd be able to, would you be able to like unpack what we talked about at Westside Men that sure. sphere of influence? Yeah. Sort of kind of give like a visual graphic. Maybe we can throw a graphic in the show. Absolutely. Notes, but, yeah. Yeah. So the first question: How how can they serve in their local church? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is. Um, I love um, Andy Stanley's a guy who has just crystallizing sentences. I really appreciate it. But Andy Stanley says that your calling is when your passion mm-hmm. and someone's need collides. Hmm. 
that's a calling. Yeah. Very simple. I absolutely love that. That's also salvation. If, God, if God's passion meets our needs. Yeah, man. So, <laughs> so you have a passion, let's say, of you know, of feeding hungry people, and there are hungry people, and so yeah. you know this idea of calling. And so I say um, that's two things. How can you serve? Number one, you need to know what your gifts are, and yeah. that's where I would lean heavy on your local church. Talk to your pastor. You know, you can do assessments and stuff like that. But we yeah. know that everybody whom the Lord saves, He also gifts and equips with certain gifts for the kingdom of God. Amen. So be aware of your gifts, and then secondly. Find the need that your gift can meet that need for. And that's very, very simple, you know, um, area. Number two, when it comes to your sphere of influence, we talked about this in Westside Men last week when it comes to sharing the gospel. And this just comes from Stephen Covey, the, the very famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, what what he did is he looked at some of the most successful people in the world and said, what what made them distinct? And the one thing was, is they knew their sphere of influence. Yeah. So our generation is sort of notorious for saying, you know, we want to change the world. Right. We want to do big things. But, you know, they can't clean up their room. But that's a different <laughs> sermon. You know, they can't throw their Starbucks cup away. But anyway, um, the sphere of influence is literally on a piece of paper, drawing a circle in the middle and, and writing God. Yeah. That, that's your number one relationship. Yeah. So all, your sphere of influence is built around relationships. Your relationships are your number one asset in the world. Yeah. You, you ne- that's why... You never burn bridges because you never know when you have to walk across that bridge again. Right. So that that's your primary relationship. And then you draw another circle around that, and that would be, you know, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor yeah. as yourself. Well, who's your primary neighbor? Well, if you're married, it's your spouse, yeah. okay? And so then you draw another circle around that, and that would be your, you know, your family, your kids, and then yeah. another circle. And so what you see when you build out, and, and listen— everybody has a sphere of influence. And when you start with that sphere of influence and work your way out from there, then you realize, look at all these people that I can serve. Look at these opportunities that I have. Rather than getting overwhelmed of scrolling on Facebook and seeing someone just come back from a missions trip in Uganda, and you're like, gosh, man, I'm not serving. Well, yeah, praise God for that. That's great. And that's an element of service. But, you know, we say this all the time. Missions isn't just across the globe. It's across the street yep. or across the hallway yeah. or across the work cubicle. Or across or so- the living room. Yes, or yeah. something like that. So yeah. um, I think that's the way that you can sort of narrow down your area yeah. of service. Yeah, no, that's awesome. One of the things I loved about that illustration is you duplicate the circle. And the one on the left is is based on uh, uh, living reactively. And the mm-hmm. one on the right is proactively. Yep. And the reactive living is is everything outside that circle of you and God is stuff that you can't control. Yeah, your um, concerns and your yeah, control. And 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 living reactively is just all of those things closing in on the smaller circle. Your life in the middle circle is being affected by everything outside that you can't control, and that's exhausting. Yep. And the circle on the right is living proactively. What do I have here in this sphere of influence in the very center? What has God gifted me with and made me capable of doing for his kingdom and in his kingdom, working out from that yes. to your sphere of influence? That's how you can serve in a way that's not exhausting, that's not draining, that's not... That's not detrimental to your mental or physical health. And that's why COVID was so significant because that outside circle of concerns became so big and so heavy that it pressed in greatly on what we could control. But at the same time, 
that also provides new opportunities right. to serve. Mm-hmm. Always. This is a, yeah. a living and breathing thing. Yeah. So a legacy of service. Serve your local church. Yep. Serve your neighborhood. Serve your wife. Serve your husband. Serve yes. your kids. Second one was this, a legacy of change. And we see a familiar name in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, and with him Onesimus. Yes. Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. I love that he says who is one of you. Yep. Where do we remember Onesimus from? Yeah, man. Paul's that that's a hint. He is one of you. Is yeah. um going back to a book that we studied as well, the book of Philemon. Yeah, man. And the backstory of Onesimus is Onesimus is a runaway slave yeah. who what we can understand and glean from Scripture, ended up in jail, probably with Paul, yeah. and was talking and saying that he ran away from his master, who was Philemon. <laughs> Paul's and, like, yep, you're Philemon's I, kn- I know that guy. That's crazy. And so the whole letter of Philemon is that Onesimus and Philemon um, were in ought with each other. Yeah. They, they had discord. And Paul was in good standing with Philemon and good standing with Onesimus. And as Christians, we learned this big idea from Philemon. If you are in good standing with two people who are not in good standing, it is your responsibility as a Christian to bridge the gap. Amen. That every Christian is responsible for reconciliation. Mm. And so we said the legacy of change is that Onesimus left a different legacy in light of Christ than what he would have left apart from Christ. Yeah. And so it would have been broken relationships and and everything like that. And yeah. the beautiful thing about a legacy of change is, is we've got a lot of people in Westside who are leaving a legacy of change. Yeah, man. That That's where my question comes from. Like maybe you're listening to this or uh, you're saying God's changed me. Like God saved me. Yep. I'm a first generation Christian in a long line of unbelievers in my family. Yeah. How can that person who identifies with that show in their life that they've been changed? Yeah. Like how can they show in their life, maybe to their sphere of influence, um, how they have been changed and how God has saved them? Sure. I think a practical example I can use is is my own dad. Yeah. Um, my dad didn't meet his biological father till he was 37 years old. Wow. We were living in Dallas, Texas. My dad had his four boys and he met his dad um, J.W. Solomon, our last name. I should be Jason Graham Solomon. Um, and his dad was going to go out and pick up a watermelon and a pack of cigarettes and never came back. My goodness. And when my dad met him, you know, his dad broke down when he saw us boys because his name wasn't going to live on and everything like that. But one of the things that my dad did is my dad, to the best of his ability, worked out that relationship with his father and shared the gospel with his father. Yeah. Um, and and so I think a practical way that you can show that change is being that bridge builder in your family. Yeah, man. Now, what I'm not saying is is to be the enabler that holds everything together in your family and feel that pressure and everything right. like that. But, man, if there is discord, if there is anything that's going on within your circle of influence in that sphere, man, if you're a Christian... Who else is going to initiate? Right. Who else is going to do that? You know, yeah. your unsaved uncle right. who drinks 14 beers a night. Like, you know, don't be mad at him for right. not coming to the table, Yeah. you know, on that sure. type of stuff. And so I think it's just as simple as initiation. Yeah, man. Well, and then we can glean a lot from last week on that. At the beginning of chapter four, we see, we see Paul encouraging the church in Colossae to talk to God about people, to yep. pray for them, and to talk to people about God. At some point... But we this was sort of the charge last week. Ask God to do three things. Open a door to open their heart and open your mouth. Yes. And at some point, you've got to say something. Yep. 
one of the one of the marks of leaving a legacy of change is that you're gonna have to have that conversation. Absolutely. But it doesn't all depend on you. Yep. The conversation is your part and your work that God is inviting you into to participate in the on earth as it is in heaven kingdom work. Yes. Participate with him. And and one of the most important things is, you know, if some of you listening to this, if you are a first generation Christian, two things are happening. Number one, things are ending with you, whether it be alcoholism or adultery or a wake of divorces or whatever that is, that ends with you. But things also start with you. And what starts with you is that involvement in a local church is all of those things. I mean, it's so encouraging to hear first-generation Christians at Westside say things like, man, you know, you know, whether it's in small group or at the men's thing, to hear these guys say, you know, you know, my parents and my family's always asking me about this, that, or the other, or can we do this? And we're always like, hey, you know, we got this church thing, we're doing this. And the family really sees a difference in those people's lives. And yeah. that speaks volumes. Yeah. It speaks volumes. That's awesome. Yes, it does. Well, that's the second point, a legacy of change from Onesimus. And the third point is a legacy of encouragement. We have like four names in here, three names in here that are listed in Colossians 4, verse 10 through 11. And I love that. I love how these bleed together. Like they're back to back. A legacy of change um, is right behind a legacy of encouragement. Yeah. Like if you're trying to live a legacy of change in your life and, and communicate what the Lord has done for you, not just with your mouth, but also the way that you live, and it's going to require some encouragement because you're not going to do it alone. Absolutely. And so we get three names in verses 10 through 11, Aristarchus, Mark, and Eustace, or yep. Justice. That was the name of our dog. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man, that's right. U.S. That's right. He, he, he went on to, what is it, the big rainbow bridge that they call right. it? He yes. crossed the big rainbow bridge yes. in, in December. We miss him very much. But Aristarchus, Mark, and Eustace, or Justice. Why are these guys important? Why are these guys important and listed under the category of encouragers to Paul? Yeah, um, Paul says this sentence there in verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers Can for the unpack, kingdom of God. Can you unpack that? What does un- only men of the circumcision mean? Yeah, so th- basically these are the only Jewish guys. Yeah. So Paul by ethnicity is Jewish, and Paul would primarily go into the temples and you know had a heart for his Jewish people, though his mission was to the Gentiles, which is non-Jewish. Yeah. And when you read that sentence, Paul says that almost in a heartbreaking way, like, Man, these three guys are the only guys of my own people yeah. who are laboring for me in the kingdom of God. And and what we saw with these guys is they simply had the ministry of presence. They were there. They were there. They're available. And one commentator said about uh, you know Justice Eustace or whatever is. We don't know why he's in jail with Paul, mm. but we do know through Roman government that the prison system worked a little bit different yeah. and that you could actually have people come in and stay with you, um, help you. That's why Paul has a secretary, Timothy, with him. It was a little bit different um, of what we think in the American West of jail and prison. Yeah. But a lot of people think that Eustace just simply stayed with Paul mm. as a partner. Yeah. I mean, think about that. This is a friend who's like, oh, you're locked up? Yeah, man, I'll just sit with you. Yeah. You know, and we learned that one of the most faithful and profound ministries, there's a lot of things we can't do, but one of the things you can do is maybe pull up in somebody's driveway, lower the tail of your truck bed, and have a Coca Cola and say, I'm here. Yeah. I'm just simply here. Yeah. It's a powerful thing, man. Yeah. That's really, really good. Uh, in the in the contrast of that, um, 
a, a lot of us, have, whether we're Christians or not, have a lot of really bad things to say that aren't helpful sure. um, to people who are in pain. Yep. What damage can be done when we, I'll, I'll use the quote, run our mouths yeah. to someone who is in the midst of tragedy? And how is that less impactful than maybe simply just being present? Yeah, man, if somebody's going through cancer or just lost a loved one or something like that, we're not good with our emotions and we're not good, especially with grief. And yeah. I think the Bible has a lot to say to that. But one of the things that we see with Jesus, you know, at Lazarus's grave is that he just cried, is that he was there. And so much so that the yeah. other people said, look at how he loved this man. Mm. And he didn't, he just, he was just simply there. And I think sometimes, whether it be because of Hallmark or a Lifetime movie, when we don't sit and enter into the grief, so we're not comfortable with, that's one of the things that empathy is, yeah. is entering into the pain yeah. that somebody's going through. We don't like that because that messes up our life. Right. We love comfort. We love ease. But to enter in and to simply be silent and not slap a bumper sticker yeah. on, I think one of the things that we do is we bypass someone's emotions. We treat them as a project rather than just a person. Yeah. Um, there's just a number of ways that we hurt someone rather than just being present with them. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, one of the things that personally I struggle with is I'll roll into someone's life who's who's hurting, and I want to be the hero in that moment. Sure. Like, I want to be the one who saves them from their grief, who says the right thing that yep. they need to hear. Yep. And in reality, sometimes it's so much more helpful to just sit there and say, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm yep. here. I'm here. Um, and that's a really, really big deal. Yeah. Before we get into point four, in the book of Acts, they cast lots to replace Judas, mm -hmm. the betrayer of Jesus. And right. the one who loses at casting the lots was Matthias, who is also... They cast lots between Matthias and Justice, or yeah. Eustace. Is this the same guy? Um, maybe, may, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is that I don't think... Because we never... So Matthias was supposed to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. Right. But we also don't see that it says, and the Lord told them to cast lots. Right. And we never hear from Matthias. He never writes yeah. a book of the Bible. There's never a recorded sermon. I'm from the opinion that the... Paul was supposed to replace Judas mm. as the apostle because he goes on and carries obviously that ministry. Yeah. So it might be the same guy, yeah, but we cool. but we don't know directly. That's cool. That's cool. Well, the fourth one is this: a, leg a legacy of faithfulness. Yeah. A legacy of encouragement leads us into a legacy of faithfulness, and specifically, we're talking about the avenue of faithfulness in prayer. Yeah. In verses twelve through thirteen of chapter four, it says, "Epaphras, <clears throat> who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you." And then here it is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Struggling is the word that is being used. And like unpack Epaphras. We've heard the name before. Sure. Uh, we know that he sort of served as like maybe the pastor, the church planter of yep. Colossae. Um, what is what is his significance in this and why why does knowing about his prayers matter? Yeah, we hear from a we hear about Epaphras a lot in the New Testament, um, considering, you know, from this list a name of people. And so we know Paul never went to Colossae, and what we can glean from scripture is that it probably was birthed when he was preaching in Ephesus, mm -hmm. because Ephesus is really close. Also in the verses that you read, he talks about the letters in Laodicea. Yeah. That's also mentioned again in the book of Ephesus, um, or in the book of Ephesians. And so Paul probably preached 
preached in Ephesus, Epaphras was there, heard the gospel, was discipled by Paul, and went back to his hometown of Colossae and planted the church, spread the good news. Um, He was a faithful church planter, and when the heresy arose in the church, that's when he contacted Paul and said, this is going down, what do we need to do? And Paul pins the letter and says, this is how we can correct this, this is who Jesus is. But man, we see that Epaphras loved the people of Colossae and shepherded them through prayer. I mean, when Paul says this guy is a prayer warrior, when Paul says that, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. I mean, the term struggling um, in prayer to agonize in in doing that. And I think it's so important to know that, that we can be faithful Man, man, we think faithfulness is wrapped up in extraordinary things, yeah. and it is sometimes. Yeah. But I think it's that's the exception. Yeah. That's not the rule. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest um, marks of faithfulness is what we see from Epaphras of just daily praying yeah, time, for someone. Time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Time. I love that. I love the idea of like thinking about faithfulness is this idea of of a long time spent hashing away at one thing. Yep. That's faithfulness. That's and faith- I think a word for our generation is God has called us not to be famous but to be faithful. Amen. So, Amen. you know, you know, yeah. sh- shout out to Stephen Furtick and Rich Wilkerson and all of that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. That ministry is not for everybody, yeah. okay? And and God's not called us to be superstars. Yeah. He's just called us to be faithful. Yeah, man. I love what um, one old Puritan says is preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Yeah. So just yeah. be faithful. Yeah, you know? that's one of the reasons that I absolutely love our Churches Loving Churches program. Yes. Um, each month we we shout out a specific, we focus on a specific local church that's not Westside, and we zone in on their pastor, and we pray for them, yep. we write them letters, we send them out to eat with their wives, um, and that really is, is, I mean, some of these pastors have been with their churches for decades. Yep. Faithfulness. Absolutely. Long, long obedience, long, long time. And, yes. And the question that I want to ask that, that kind of uh, gleans off of faithfulness, I think a lot of us hear, oh, it's Epaphras, so he's the pastor or the church planter, so he's the one who's laboring on his knees in prayer for the church. Mm. But I don't think that's necessarily what we should draw from this passage. No. Like, like, yes, Pastor Jason and I are on our knees for you guys, praying for you weekly. We sure. pray for you. We meet with you, all of that stuff. But how? why is it important that somebody who is not in a level of of paid ministry or pastoral ministry, but attends a local church, why is it important that they pray, struggle in prayers for their church, and what should they be praying? Yeah, um, I, you know, that the answer to that, I think, comes from the story that we told. I love reading biographies of heroes of the faith, and yeah. one of the things that you find out in biographies is that there was a whole army of people that allowed, you know, this one great person, yeah. George Whitfield, John Wesley. One of them is Charles Spurgeon, yeah. who was kind of one of the first megachurch pastors, one of the most famous preachers to ever preach the gospel, and a lot of people say the the greatest preacher of the English language. But four college students on a Sunday night went to go visit, visit Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and they were touring the place, and they bumped into Spurgeon, and Spurgeon gave them a tour. And one of the young students who was going to Bible school asked Spurgeon, what is the secret to your ministry? Why does your ministry have such a long reach in publication, your sermons and all of that? And Spurgeon, in his Spurgeon way, said, the secret to our church and my ministry is found in the boiler room. And the boiler room is an old term for like the utility closet or like the breaker or the furnace 
was or something. And Spurgeon had a room underneath his pulpit. And so underneath, in front of his pulpit was the baptism uh, font. And underneath the pulpit was a room. And so they took him there and he opened up the door and the room was lined with people on their knees praying before the service began. And Spurgeon whispered, this is the secret to my ministry and the secret to this church. And Spurgeon had people praying before the service. He had people underneath the pulpit in that room praying while he was preaching and then after he was preaching as well. Um, And so to know that the faithfulness of Paul is backed up by a guy like Epaphras or that church. And, you know, man, we, we just said this over and over on Sunday. You might be saying in this season of life because of health, kids, finances, whatever, man, there's a whole lot that I can't do. I get that. Yeah. I understand that. But rather than focusing on what you can't do, focus on what you can do. Yeah. And what you can do is pray. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. I love that Spurgeon didn't take those college guys and just say the secret of, of my ministry is my prayers. Oof. Like my prayers. Like yeah. now we know Spurgeon was a praying man. Absolutely. Devoted devoted to many hours a day um in his study and writing and also serving other communities and and I'm sorry, what are the what's the word I'm looking for? Orphanages and stuff yeah. like that. But he didn't say it was my prayers. Yeah. He he brought him to people who were a part of his church and said their prayers, yeah. their faithfulness in prayer. What what I love is he didn't take them to his study. Yeah, that's you good. Know, show them his books or that's something. That's good, man. Yeah. That's good. Legacy of faithfulness. Fifth legacy, a legacy. Well, you, you got nine points this nine week. Nine points on Mother's Day. <laughs> a legacy of friendship. A legacy of friendship. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Luke is mentioned, the author, mm-hmm. the author of the Gospel of Luke, the author of the book of Acts, and... Tell us a little bit about Luke. I mean, we know he's a we know he's a doctor. If, you, yep. if you've not heard that, Luke's a doctor. Sort of patched Paul up when he got beaten, thrown around. Yeah, and for all sure. That stuff. But why, why is why is Luke leaving this uh, marked as leaving this legacy of friendship? Yeah. So we know that Luke was hired out um, by a skeptic, a wealthy skeptic, to trace the ministry of Jesus. That's where we get the Gospel of Luke, the eyewitness accounts. But we also see in Second Timothy chapter four. And 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul pins. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the last chapter. And Paul is not um, weeks away. He's not days away. Paul is is hours and seconds away from getting his head cut off Mm. by the Roman government. And he says, Luke alone is with me. Mm. Luke traveled with Paul from the beginning to the end and was faithful in friendship with Paul. And I just love that that's so significant that the Apostle Paul, we think about this guy riding around maybe on a horse or walking hundreds of miles a day to preach the gospel like the Lone Ranger or something. And he wasn't. And he wasn't at all. And one of the things that sort of stung a little bit, I think, is what we said. And the reason why it stings is because it places responsibility um, back on us. Is we said this, that loneliness is a choice. Mm. Loneliness is a choice. So when you're feeling lonely and you don't, and listen, friendship's difficult. We said friendship is a lot more like a crock pot than it is a microwave. So we come into church and we think I'm going to sign up, boop, 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 press, you know, two and a half minutes. And then I've got my taquitos and I'm ready to go. I got my friends, but man, it simmers. It takes time, forgiveness, grace, all of that stuff. And in moments when we feel alone, 
there is a responsibility that we have to reach out and pursue other people. Yeah, no, that's good. And I love I love that Luke was Luke's friendship was not marked as just by hanging out. I mean, he labored with Paul. Absolutely. The work that Luke did that gives us the information and the words that we have in the Bible and the book of Luke and the book of Acts, are yep. you kidding me? Right. Is labor is hard hard labor. And I think I think a lot of us will read will read the Bible and we'll we'll, we'll maybe immediately identify ourselves with like the strongest personality. Right. So maybe you're looking at this and you're thinking about Paul, oh Paul without Luke is lonely. What if you identified yourself with Luke and mm. said uh, who can I be Luke to yep. this week? How can I and that's leads me into my question. Like we've talked about how loneliness can can be a choice and that's a hard statement, but we've unpacked that. But how how can someone who maybe feels lonely who wants a Luke, be a Luke. How can yeah. someone who feels lonely initiate maybe a friendship or a connection in That's a good. simple way? Yeah. Proverbs says, I love Proverbs. It says- <laughs> I know in, which one you're going to love it. <laughs> in order to have friends, show yourself as being friendly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like that's so simple, and I, you know, we've broke this down in the past. Some of us are so mean. Yeah, that basically <laughs> the the two ways to make friends is this: number one, be yourself. Yeah, just we're all weird. You're weird. Everybody's <laughs> weird. Okay, it's okay. Be yourself, and then forget yourself. Yeah, it's not about you. Yeah, and so this friendship's not about you, and to be able to pursue that, and so I think it's very it's as simple as that. Rather than asking questions of, well, nobody talked to me at church today, yeah. or no, you know, this, that, or the other, it's reversing that and saying, who can I talk to? Yeah. Who can I pursue? There's a family in our church that is so intentional that every Sunday they come to church aware and find somebody that they can invite to their house and have yeah. lunch with yeah. just to get to know people. I was talking to them a few weeks ago and they said it's, uh, someone asked them, how do you guys do it? Because you invite people over every week and and it seems like you have a knack for it. And their daughter said, it's kind of easy. You just look around the room and look for who looks lonely. Mm, and, and maybe you feel lonely. It's like, good. okay, well, maybe you can be Luke to somebody and initiate. Look for someone else who might look lonely or... And don't enter into a friendship or a connection and say, man, I was really looking for a friend because I'm, you know, you can be honest and be yourself, but don't make it about you. 100%. You know, I love I love that statement. I love that phrase. Legacy of friendship. The next one we get is a legacy of a warning. Hello, Demas. Yeah, the turd in the punch bowl, <laughs> man. Everybody laughed when you said that. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard a pastor say turd in a punch bowl from the pulpit. Well, we did. It's uh, true. Why is Demas the turd in the punch bowl? We see him in, in Colossians 4.14. He's right after Luke. Luke, the beloved physician greets you as does and then thunder and lightning demas yeah so like what's why is he the turd in the punch bowl we hear demas mentioned three times in the new testament one time in acts um the second time here and then the third time is in second timothy 4 mm. and paul says to timothy do your best to come to me soon for demas in love with this present world has deserted me, hmm. and he's gone to Thessalonica. A lot of people try to argue and say, well, maybe Demas was still saved, and you know, Paul says that he left me, hmm. not Jesus, but Paul says that he was in love yeah, with this present love. world, yeah. and that that's language of, you know, to not love the world or the things of the world, and yeah. so, you know, we don't know if Demas didn't want to go to jail or, you know, was like, man, this is hard. And he bailed. And and yeah. the, the reason why this is important to stop and ponder this in the context of what legacy am I leaving? One of the things I'm finding out more and more in this Christian life, bro, is that 
It is not how you start. It is how you finish. Mm. I mean, in 2020, from the past three years in evangelicalism and the big C church, every day it seems like there's an article of this pastor, of that pastor, of this happening, of that happening. And I'd had a conversation with a fellow pastor friend who um, basically got a list of people that he graduated Bible college with. And I think it was like 27 names or something like that. And I can't remember the exact number that he said, but it's something like seven were still pastoring. He's looking them up like, where are they all preaching? And he found that only seven of them are pastoring. Yes, yes. And it's, and listen, I didn't know this as a pastor, okay? I was a young, naive pastor, and I thought everybody that came and everybody that said good sermon or everybody that signed up on the volunteer sheet was in. Yeah. They were like totally in. And we're in a unique season as a church in me just in self-reflection, emotional health, and all of this stuff, and realizing, man, the people that started and the people that said they were gung-ho, they're not around anymore. Mm. And man, that's a tough thing. But the legacy of warning is to ask yourself, man, what legacy am I leaving behind with my kids? And listen, it happens in a drift. It happens in, oh my gosh, my kids are young and we got t-ball and we got soccer and, and you know, this and that. And and one of the things that we said, and this wasn't even in my notes, it just kind of came out in processing this in preaching. If you talk about your relationship with God and serving God and everything's in the past tense, Mm. you know, years ago or when we were at this church or we used to do, or when I would go to summer camp, bro, that's a red flag. Yeah. That's a scary thing Mm. when it comes to that. Yeah. That's a helpful tool. Well, I see two things um, from Demas as a warning. Number one, how do we can introvert this, look at ourselves and inspect ourselves, examine ourselves. How does one finish well? And this sort of ties into faithfulness. Mm. It sort of ties into encouragement and all and service and friendship already. But like, how does one, maybe you're in the context of a local church. How do you finish well? Yeah, man. In the church. I think one of the hardest things and most rewarding things that somebody can do is commit in a covenant promise to a local church. Now, man, For how long? For a lifetime. A lifetime. I mean, I understand you're going to move in sort of this, that, and the other, but the preachers that I believe that have had the most effective ministries are not the guys that have been in a place for three or four years, preached some sermons, and then took their bag of sermons on a road. Yeah. They're the guys that were there for 30 years Mm. who walked with their congregation through death, through cancer, through all of those things. And the same is true And man, we need to view, the Apostle Paul says that the commitment and the covenant to a local church is the same as marriage Mm. in Ephesians. He says that, you know, the way that a man loves a woman and this, that, and the other, and I say that this refers to the way that Christ loves the church. And so a way that you can be faithful as an individual is to commit and say, I'm a part of this church. And man, that's almost like a dirty word, commitment and submission. And I made a post today on social media that said, you know, the greatest threat to the church is not agnosticism or atheism outside the church. It's the attitude of individualism inside the church. So statements like, you can't tell me that, and Mm. this is just the way that I am. And 
man, that screams yeah. pride and individualism. And that has an expiration date. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's also a level of sadness in this verse. In love with this present world, he's deserted me. Mm. Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica and gone somewhere else. And so after after examining ourselves, like maybe we live in a small town, right? Yeah. Maybe someone Maybe someone bounces. Maybe they're in love with this present world and deserts or whatever, however language we want to use it, if we want to use that language from Second Timothy. But they're still around. We see yeah. them from time to time. Sure. We can still engage with them and talk to them. How should we go about relating to someone who seems to have maybe no fruit of repentance or devotion to Christ? Maybe it looks as though they've walked away from the faith. Yeah. Do we scorn them? Do we hate them? Do we right. love them? How do we, how do we navigate that? Yeah, so there's a number of things. So number one, you know, Man, you know, people don't like to talk about this, but there is such a thing as church discipline. There is such a thing as how believers are supposed to relate to each other who Mm -hmm. have sinned and reconciliation and Matthew 18 and all of that stuff. But I think to sum it up, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all. With all. And a guiding question that we say time and time again is to wake up every day and to ask yourself this, mm. what does love require of me? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there was a point where Paul didn't chase Demas anymore. Yeah. Demas made a decision. Yeah. But what did Paul write him letters? Did he pursue him? Yeah. How many times? We don't know. Yeah. And so I think, how you know, what can you do to pursue people, to let them know that, listen, this door is always open. Yeah. Um, but it is your responsibility to walk through it. Yeah. But but making sure that we've not placed any barriers in front of that door for somebody yeah. else to walk through. That's good. That's good. I like that. Number seven, a legacy. We're gonna we're gonna go through these last couple ones here. The, the legacy of hospitality. Hospitality. In verse fifteen, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. Yeah. And the church in her house. Love man, it. Homie had a church in her house. Love it, man. How do you say homie? What's the girl version of homie? I think a girls Sister? can be homies. Yeah. Sister homie. Sure. Yeah. She had a church in her house. I love it. Hospitality. What's the significance of this? Like, well, first of all, before we get to hospitality, I want to talk about Nympha. She's yep. mentioned in this book that lasts for eternity that we talked about. This yep. group of names. These are for eternity. Why is this significant? And what does this reveal about what the Bible says and what God thinks about women? Yeah, man, this is good. Um, We also see um, Paul shout out a bunch of women in Romans chapter 16, Mm -hmm. which is a chapter of the Bible I would highly recommend that you study. And this is extremely relevant. This past weekend, Saddleback Church, which is a Southern Baptist church, Rick Warren is the pastor, um, just ordained... Um, two women to be on pastoral staff. And so it was a monumental moment. And the Southern Baptist, uh, you know, their view is that men and women are equal, but there's a distinction when it comes to this, that, and the other. Long story short, I say all that to say this. The scriptures, if you are not acquainted with them and you're just eating whatever's passed down to you, oftentimes one of the critiques of Christianity in the church is because there has been horrible things that have happened is that the church has a low view of women. Mm. And that is the antithesis yeah. of what we see in the Furthest scriptures. Furthest from the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we don't know if she was a leader. We don't know a lot. But what we do know is what's recorded. And there was a church, ecclesia, a gathering of people that was in her house. Yeah. And so she opened it up. And we yeah. very simply said this. The impact that you can have by saying 
hey, I'll open up my house for small group. Mm. I mean, some people in the church have a gift that they can turn a hospital room into a living room yeah. or something like that. And, you know, 1 Peter 4, 9 says that hospitality is a spiritual gift yeah, man. that God has given. Yeah. And when you open up your house for small group, when you make a meal for somebody that is in need, you are not only serving that person, you're serving Jesus. Yeah, man. It's so significant. Yeah. So significant. That's wonderful. And I love this term hospitality. Like I I, I think there are two ways that you can look at hospitality. Um, can you look up the Oxford English Dictionary definition of Absolutely. hospitality while I talk about this? Absolutely. Because I mean, I'm, I'm going through a Gravity Year 2 cohort um, with the guys at Gravity. Thanks again. We love Gravity Leadership. Um, and the the theme that we're on this week in Year 2 is hospitality. Um and hospitality, I think a lot of times we only view it in the sense as like like turning a hospital room into a living room sure. or opening up our, our uh, houses to for people to come in to serve them. And, and we can maybe even skew it and be like, well, I'm, I'm the host this week, so I've got to put on this show. Everything's got to look great and all of that. That's part of it. That's mm. part of hospitality, providing for people. I think this hospitality can also be different because she's not just having people over for a meal. She is inviting people into the kingdom of God working in her house. Yeah. And one of the definitions that we've used in gravity for hospitality is this, have a life and share it with others. Meaning like it's have a life worth living and invite people into that life, which essentially just means have a life and invite people into it. And that's what Nympha was doing. Yeah. <clears throat> the Oxford English Dictionary has this definition, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. But here's what I love. Um, the etymology of the word comes from the late Middle English word hospital. Hmm. So if you think about it this way, yeah. why does someone go to a hospital? To get healed. Yeah, care, healing. To get care. Yeah. And so if you're somebody who is hospitable, yeah. you are providing care for someone who's hurting. Yeah. Man, that's good. That's great, That'll man. preach. Yeah, and I, lo- I love this idea of inviting people into, like, maybe you're pairing that definition with this definition of, like, oh, it's derived from from hospital to care for or to heal. How can I do that in the context of right. my own life? Well, if you remember our Axiom series, God's always present and at work yep. in every area of your life. If there's a willingness or even a gift that God has given you for hospitality, just invite people into the regular rhythms of your life yes. and share Christ with them. That's far more healing than getting maybe that's far more healing than any other you know, maybe complex, like trying to put on some kind of grand ball dinner and hope to make some deep connection. Yeah, man. Uh, hospitality happens within the confines and the con- within the context of your life because that's where God's present and at work. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. good. It's a good word. Legacy of perseverance, as we're getting close to the last one here. And say to Archip- Archippus in verse 17, see that, I love this, see that you fulfill, the, he gives an encouraging word. Yes. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So good. Legacy of perseverance. Um, don't stop, right? Don't Keep stop, on going. And fi- in Philemon 2, he, he, he is described as a fellow soldier. And uh, Archippus, he's mentioned in, in Philemon. Yeah. And... Can you unpack that just just for a moment and how that leads into perseverance, and then we can go into a question for there? Yeah, man. I I, I this was the golden nugget for me, just because we don't know this guy, yeah. we, but he had a ministry, and obviously it was a significant ministry because it's on the Apostle Paul's radar. And Paul was just like, this guy's thinking about quitting. This guy's thinking about giving up, and he just tells him, don't that. 
you've received this ministry in the Lord. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just love that ministry is something that we receive, not something we achieve. Yeah. And I didn't tell this story, but I think this is a great way to do it. My dad used to tell a story. Um, he was a traveling evangelist and was on the road all the time. And he had um, had a rough year, was really thinking about just quitting, quitting being in evangelism, and um, he was struggling. He was in a hotel by himself, just down, 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 down. And my mom called him in the hotel room and said, we received um, a letter today, and I thought it was important for you to hear it. My mom begins to read this letter. My dad, years and years ago, had spoke at like a missionary summit, and um, there was a guy there from Africa Never met my dad, never went up and talked to him, nothing. And my dad spoke at the missionary summit, and this guy um, got a recording and the tape of it and went back and was getting ready to give up. He didn't because my dad preached, went back and was preaching the gospel in this area. His son had been murdered by the local government, all of this stuff, and wrote a letter to my dad saying the only thing that got me through was every day, sometimes twice a day, I would listen to the cassette tape of your sermon from the Missionary Summit, and I just wanted you to know. And he ended the letter with this because my dad kept saying, none of this matters, none of this matters, none of this matters. And he ended the letter with the words, I just wanted you to know your ministry matters. Wow. And my mom was bawling, my dad was bawling, and my dad was like, all right, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. And listen— I think what's so important in the legacy of perseverance, the way that Paul tells this guy to persevere is that he gives him encouragement. So we see point three, that Paul received encouragement in order to give encouragement. And and the word encouragement means to put courage into someone. And so if you're listening to this, I, I think we highly underestimate the impact of what it is to send a text message, a phone call to somebody and say, hey, I know you're grinding out with the kids and work and everything like that, but I just want you to know that you matter. Don't give up. No, that's good. And I want to remind everybody, like, yes, it seems like this is written in the context for just a preacher. I mean, you used the illustration of your dad as a preacher and just dropping a text message. Just hear this again from Ephesians chapter 4. And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, that's you guys listening to this, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You are the ones who persevere. We are the ones who exist to equip you for the work of the ministry, and that is a gift that God has given to us to give to you that we are grateful for. But you are the ones who persevere, so don't stop. So maybe, maybe, maybe we can do this question. What's a good word or some good news not good advice, good news, for someone who is on the verge of throwing in the towel or bailing on the faith or bailing on the church, what's a bit of good news that we have for them today? Yeah, I think the good news is this, is that it doesn't all depend on you. Amen. That God has seen it fit to grant you this ministry, just like he did to Archippus, and um, God gave you this ministry yeah. because it didn't depend on you. Yeah. And so the fact that it doesn't depend on you is good news. Yeah. Secondly, um, I think that we highly underestimate 
our influence just because we're in it and we're in the thick of it. So yeah. my dad was traveling. He was out on the road. And what he needed was a perspective change. Yeah. He needed somebody to enlarge his vision. And so, listen, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about giving up, number one, it doesn't depend on you. Yeah. And number two, your ministry matters. Your yeah. influence is so much bigger than what you could think. Yeah, Keep on good. keeping on. That's good. And the last one we come to is from Paul, a legacy of grace. I love that you pointed this out. In verse 18, at the very end, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. And he says, grace be with you. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out the difference between, well, first of all, like Paul would usually have somebody who would write the letters for him. He would speak, they would write, annotate longhand and all of that. But Paul's writing this in his own hand as he's in chains, almost like hauntingly knowing. The autograph. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah and uh, putting his stamp on it. But secondly, he says, grace be with you. And you pointed our attention to the beginning of Colossians where he says, grace to you. Mm. What's the significance of, of grace to you and grace be with you? Yeah. And how does that tie into our legacy? I think it was just a just such a beautiful way to end the letter that yeah. 14 weeks ago we started and we read Paul say, grace to you. So supernaturally, we were opening up the Bible and God was giving us grace. He was giving us power. He was doing something. It was coming to us. And after 14 weeks and after walking through this letter, now that we've received this grace, when we go back out into the world, that grace is with us. Yeah. And man, that's so significant in, in leaving this legacy behind because at the end of the day, it is all about grace. Yeah, man. And, and the difference, you know, one of the things I learned from another pastor, the difference in a biography and a testimony is this. A biography is what you have accomplished. It's about you. We read biographies and this, that, and the other. But a testimony is about what God has done for you. Yeah. Christians leave testimonies. Yeah. They testify to what God has done done on their behalf, yeah. and that's the legacy that we leave with people. Amen. Amen. That's good news, man. And our big idea, again, Christians to live to leave a legacy. Yep. And that wraps it for Colossians, man. Yeah, man. We got something else coming down the pike, though. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. This Sunday, we start a new series yeah, entitled, man. The Bible Doesn't Say That, which yeah. I'm excited about. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Amen. That's right. <laughs> God will never give you more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to close us out in Hebrews chapter 12 and then give everybody some updates. Um, this uh, just sort of tie it all together. This has been a journey, and I'm thankful for it. And this passage came to mind this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, mm. let us also... Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Number two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Yes, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes. Thanks be to God for his word, man. Amen. This is so great. Well, we do start a new series next week called The Bible Doesn't Say That. If you've got a little phrase or maybe some Christianese in your head that you thought the Bible said or maybe you've heard somebody say, and uh, we're going to go through maybe three weeks of The Bible Doesn't Say That, a series yep. that basically hones in on the importance of Scripture, not just being around it, but being in it, having yep. it in you, and essentially looking at what the Bible really does say and how that can offer good news in times of bad news in our lives. Excited about that. As always, you can catch this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find out more information about us at westsidepb.org. Also, 
please send us questions. Yeah. We have received some very good questions from some people within our church over the last six weeks. We want to encourage you, keep sending us questions. Doesn't matter what it's about, if it's about Sunday sermon or if it's about uh, whether aliens. or not... Aliens. Yeah, aliens. Let's talk about that. Send, yep. us, send, send in those questions to info at westsidepb.org, and we will address those questions. You can worship with us in person gatherings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and our online service is available on Facebook at 11 a.m. That about wraps it up. Got Amen. anything else for us? No, man. All right, sweet. We'll throw maybe that sphere of influence graphic in the show notes for you guys and the other resources we deem helpful. But as always, may everything that we say and do be all about Jesus. We love you guys. See ya. See ya.